Revelation 3, which we continue in the series, Here Comes the Bride. Most of us in this room watching, we've been a part of some great churches in our lives, churches that we felt like were alive, that were growing, that were outward focused, where lives are being changed. And then something happened in the life of those churches. And if you're not careful, you'll see many of those churches you thought were alive, all of a sudden they'll start declining. Some of those churches will ultimately die. And then those churches would disappear, and you say, what in the world happened to those churches? Here's a question. Can churches die? And the answer is yes. We're going to see in this text today that it's possible for a church to have the appearance of being alive, but in the eyes of Jesus, that church is dead. As I think about ministry, again, I do a lot of funerals and stand before families and loved ones and preach a funeral message. Interesting enough, though, when I do funerals, I never talk to the deceased person. I'm talking about the deceased person, but I'm talking to loved ones, to family, to friends. What would you say to a dead church? Again, we often talk in ministry circles about dead churches, but what would we say to a dead church? In Revelation 3, Jesus is going to speak to the church in Sardis, and he's not talking about them. He's speaking to them. And he says, you have a reputation of being alive, but in fact, you are dead. What's he going to say to a dead church? What would we say to a church that is dead as well? Sardis, interesting place because it, it, it elevated on about 1,500 feet as a city. They felt like they were immovable. Uh, it was a wealthy city, a very prideful city. Their glory was their past, and that's where they lived at. But they know, and we know, history says that they were conquered over two different times as a city, even though they were elevated the way they were. But in Sardis, there was this church. And from all outward appearances, this church was alive and well. I would imagine many people attended. Some say it may have been the largest church of the seven, but many people would have been attending this church. And from all outward appearances, this church looked like to say, that'd be a church I would want to be a part of. But Jesus is going to say to them again, I know your works. And you have a reputation of being alive, but I want you to know, in fact, you are dead. But he gives them hope as well. We're going to be able to see that. What causes a church to die? Interesting enough, when you look at Ivy League schools, we have many of those. When you look at their charters, when they started, they were all great theological institutions. They were about good theology and getting the gospel to, out to people. Interesting enough, though, over time, those schools have drastically changed theologically not conservative and it's not about the gospel anymore it's about something else you see many churches start out on fire for christ churches where their outward focus lives are being changed god is being honored and something happens in those churches that they start declining they start dying they start disappearing how can a church at one time be on fire for jesus and then ultimately die and not exist how does that happen we're going to see that from God's word as we walk through this because Jesus was focused on churches. He was not focused on the White House. He was not focused on Buckingham Palace. He was not focused on Wall Street. He was focused on churches, God's people, those who've been born again in Jesus Christ, who put their faith and trust in him. He's focused on those who are part of the called out ones, the gathering of God's people, the local church, the church in Sardis, Seven letters to seven churches, Asia Minor, what we would call in our day Turkey. He has a word for this church called Sardis. We're going to walk through that today. So 
Let me invite your attention again to God's word. And I want you to walk through this outline with me as we talk about this message. Here comes the bride, the church, and Sardis. Here's what was said, the dying church. Number one, listen as Jesus states the problem. Jesus is speaking directly to this church. Again, not to the White House, not to Buckingham Palace, not to Wall Street, specifically to this church. He's speaking to the angel, to the messenger, to the pastor, the leader of this church. And I really believe when Jesus states the problem, he has their attention as a church. Now, you, you think about this when he's speaking here in, in Revelation 3. He's speaking to the leader, to the pastor. Again, everything rises and falls on leadership. We hear that a lot. It's true in the life of the church as well. God calls his under-shepherd to be faithful to him. So he's took him to the leader, but he's also revealing himself because he talks about who he is. He talks about these seven stars. And so we understand those as the pastor. And then he talks about seven spirits. We realize that's the completeness of the Holy Spirit when you see the word seven. So Jesus is stating the problem and he's going to be very direct with them. And I believe for the church in Sardis, God's people, he has their attention. Here's an example that you, you go in to see your doctor. The doctor orders a number of tests to be done and so you do those tests and that afternoon you get a call from the doctor's office and the nurse says, if it's possible, the doctor tomorrow would like to meet with you and your spouse back here in the office. And so you go back in the next day, you walk in, you go through the check-in process, they call you back to a consultation room, the physician walks in and says, I looked at your medical test and we have a problem. Do you think that medical doctor has your attention? Absolutely, he or she does. And when Jesus is speaking to the church in Sardis, I believe he has their attention. So what is he asking them? Let me walk through with you what God says and Jesus says, number one, mask off. He's asking the church in Sardis to stop pretending. He says, I know your works. He knew everything about them as a church. He knew everything about their motives, everything about their unity. He knew everything about their mission, everything they were doing to seek him. He knew everything about that local church in Sardis. And he's just saying to them, you can stop pretending. You can take the mask off because I know everything about you as a church. He says, I, I know who's real, I know who's fake. I know who's honest, I know who's dishonest. I know who is consumed with giving me little time and yourself lots of time. I know everything about you. Mask off, no pretending. I'm gonna speak the truth into your life. Same is true about our church here at First Baptist. He knows everything about us. He knows everything about our singing. He knows everything about our preaching. He knows everything about our ministries. He knows our motives. He knows the unity. He knows what's healthy and unhealthy. He knows everything about this church. And he's asking us, stop pretending, take the mask off, because I'm gonna be honest with you, and I want you to be honest with me. There's no pretending or surprises to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mask off. Second word, deceptive reputation. He says in this passage, he says, I know that you have a reputation of being alive. So every church has a reputation. People have a reputation. If you tell people about Billy Graham, Billy Graham, even though he's in heaven, still has a reputation. You talk about Mother Teresa, she's in heaven. You still a reputation. You have a reputation. I have a reputation. This church has a reputation. And Jesus said to the church in Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive. 
What is he saying? Oh, I'm sure there are donkeys and camels everywhere around this church because why people are coming here, large numbers of people, because you have a reputation of being alive. This is a church that people want to come to. Oh, there's a church conference on how to do church and how to reach people and how to do all sorts of things in ministry. You would be leaders of that conference because you have the reputation of being alive as a church. But it's a deceptive reputation. Nancy and I went to a church in Kentucky one time. I was called to serve as their pastor. The church had a reputation. We didn't really know it at the time, but when we went to a local bank just right down the street from the church facility to open up a checking account, I was having a conversation with a lady who was opening an account for us. She and her family had just moved to the area as well, and so we got talking to her, and then she invited her to church, and then she had this kind of strange look on her face, and she said, you know, I don't know if I need to tell you something or not. And I said, in reference to the church? And she said, yes. And I said, please do. Again, tender heart, thick skin, you can do that. And she said, we had thought about coming to that church when we moved here, but every person on staff here at the bank told us to stay away from that church. Well, I had a reputation, a reputation that was not good. It was not for the glory of God. It was, it, it was, it was bad in many ways. And so the Lord led us there. And much of my pastoral ministry in that church was helping repair the reputation of that church in the community. But they had to trust that church again and trust us again. They had, to, they had to realize that we were about the gospel. We were about God's word. We were about lifting up Jesus. We were not about money and all these other things. It was very different. So the Lord used us over those years to help restore the reputation of that church in the community. But sometimes the church can have a deceptive reputation. You, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. Number three, tough words. Jesus doesn't hold back. He's honest with his people. He's, he's not playing games with them. He's not playing church with them. He's honest with God's people, the church in Sardis. He says, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. But then Jesus says these words to them, but you are dead. Do you realize you can have services? Do you realize you can have ministries? Realize you can have programs? You can have facilities? You can have a reputation of being alive, but in the eyes of Jesus, you are dead. Strong words to this church. He's stating the problem there. I believe he's got their attention. It's tough to be able to say those words. I, I've been in situations in my own life where I've had people, medical people, say words to me to say, I hate to be the one to tell you, but your father didn't live. He passed away. I'll never get receiving the call. We had been with my mother, and we thought she was improving, and so we were going back because I was going to preach on Sunday. We hadn't got too far up the road that I got a call on my cell phone. It was from the nurse who said, I know you just left not long ago, but if you can turn around and come back, we don't believe your mother's going to live too much longer. And thank the Lord we got back in time that we could see her before she passed away. Those are tough words to hear. Your loved one didn't make it. I know what it's like to be on the other side of the equation where I'm looking at somebody in the eyes and say, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but your son or daughter didn't survive. I hate to be the one to tell you this, but your father, mother passed away. Your grandfather, grandmother is in heaven with the Lord. But Jesus saying this to this church, I know your works, you have a reputation of being alive, but I want you to know this, you are dead. What causes a church to die? 
Anytime as a church that we pull away from God's word, and we pull away from prayer, and we pull away from worship and spirit and truth, we are putting ourselves in a position for the world to consume us as God's people. You and I cannot walk away from God's word and prayer and worship and being faithful to him. If we're going to live, those are nourishment to our soul and we need to make sure that we stay grounded to what God wants us to do. And those things are not negotiable. They are central for the body of Christ. Jesus said, I know your works. You have a reputation of being alive. You ask people about this church, they say it's a happening place. But I want you to know you are dead. Now I want to give you these blanks to fill in. What causes churches to die? What causes churches to die? Look at these first, past-centered focus. Just like the city of Sardis, they lived in the past, the glory days. Many churches are on the process of declining and dying because they don't see the present, nor do they see the future. They're living in the past. Everything was great in the past. Everything was glorious in the past. They're living in the past, and because of that, they're not opening their eyes and seeing the fields that are white under harvest now. They're missing the gospel content of what he wants them to do because they're focused on the past. They're not living at the Great Commission, many times not carrying out the Great Commandment. They're focused on the past, and if you're centered on the past, it will affect what you do in the present but also the future. Thank God for the past. We don't, we don't walk away from that, but we can't live back there. We've got to seize the moment, seize the day as the Holy Spirit gives us insight to what God wants to do in this present day and as we move forward. So many times churches have this past-centered focus leads them to declining and ultimately even dying. Second, absence of children and students. When you walk into a church gathering of God's people, not just a building, but in the presence of God's people, and you see the absence of children and students, you know a church is in trouble. Again, thank God for people of all ages, but we need children and students in the life of this church. We need the next generation in this church. And so church, when I look around, I see young people sitting on the front row, and I see kids and students here in the altar praying this morning, and I look around and see children and students in other places. Thank God the next generation is involved in the fellowship of this church. Thank the Lord for that. I don't know how many churches I've walked in when I was with the Kentucky Baptist Convention doing consultations with revitalization these churches would call and I'd walk in there and I'd meet with the pastor and some leaders and they would all say hey we want to experience revitalization we realize that our church is not where it needs to be we want to experience revitalization and I say what do you mean by that and ultimately they would say well we want to be able to reach children and students again and I said it's a great thing praise the Lord you desire to do that but then I'd say let me ask you a few questions when you state that you want to experience revitalization when you say that you want to reach children and students let me ask you these questions question one is are you willing to change major issue for those people are you willing to change second question I'd say are you willing to release control major question then the third question I said, would you allow me to see your child care area? I'd just like to see where you keep kids at in the nursery and young kids and those things. I'd walk down there and I'd be honest with them again because that's what they asked me to do. It's to say, do you realize it's going to be difficult to reach children, young families with the nursery, with the child care area the way that it is? Equipment from 1975, smells that were not good, no security procedures at all. 
Do you realize it's going to be difficult to do that? Because if you're going to reach young families, you need modern equipment. You need to make sure the area smells good. You need to make sure this is safe and secure. If you're going to reach young families, those are essential in our day. Then how many pastors and churches have I had to say, you mean we got to change or we got to release control or we got to change something about our facility? Then I, then I don't guess we're going to reach young children and families. Some churches make that change and do that. But when you see a church, the absence of children and students, again, you can write it down. You see a church that is in trouble because those of us my age and older, we need to be investing in this next generation because one day we're going to pass the baton to them and they're going to be the leaders in this church. They're the part of the church now. Again, understand they're not the church of tomorrow. If they know Jesus Christ, they've been born again. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of them. They are the church of today, of now. But are we investing in them? But you see churches, absence of children and students. Number three, resist change and are inflexible. You see some of that, and I'm not going to go into that because I just talked about change, but how many churches refuse to change? They're inflexible. They're not going to do that. Again, you never change the message. The word of God is the word of God. True from Genesis to Revelation. We never change the message. There's one gospel. It's the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life on Calvary's cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day. There is one way to be saved and it's Jesus and him alone. But methods will change over time. But many churches resist change. They're inflexible as a result. They're declining. They're on a pathway to dying. Number four, excuse away any evangelistic responsibility. Many churches aren't growing and they're dying because there's no gospel conversations. There's no evangelistic responsibility. They say that's what we pay the pastor to do. And that's what we expect this pastoral staff to do. Absolutely, we want to have gospel conversations. We want to encourage you to do that. But you have to realize when you look at God's word, sheep produce sheep. Shepherd leads sheep. Sheep produce sheep. You have an evangelistic responsibility just like I do. Who is it in your family, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school? Who are you around in this community that you need to be having gospel conversations with? But many churches are dying because they excuse away any evangelistic responsibility. They don't feel any responsibility to reach anyone. And that's why churches will go for years and never baptize a single person in obedience to Christ. And these churches are dying. Number, number five, tolerate disruptive and divisive leaders. There's sometimes people, we, see, we saw that in the church last week. Many churches are dying because there's a disruptive or a divisive leader or leaders. And as a result of that, they're not willing to take action. They're not leaning into conflict. And what happens in the midst of that? Those churches start the process of declining and dying because there's disunity. There's not togetherness. There's somebody who's in leadership that's not healthy leading, causing chaos in the body of Christ. Sometimes you've got to lean into conflict and deal with a disruptive or a divisive leader or leaders in the life of that church. There are many churches out there again, plateaued, declining, dying, and if not careful, are going to disappear. And Jesus said to this church, I know your works, you have a reputation of being alive, but I want you to know this, you're dead. Look at number two. Obey Jesus as he, as Jesus shares the potential. I am thankful in this passage that Jesus did not write off the church in Sardis. Even though we're dead, he didn't write them off. He saw potential still in them. We were grilling out last night 
And I looked and I thought, are these coals even, even burning? And so I get down there and I blow on them. And what happened? I see an ember. I see some fire there. I realize there's still hope here. What, what looked to be out. No, no, no. If you just blow a little wind on it, it there's still life there somewhat. And the Holy Spirit's going to move. And so he's speaking into this church because here's what Jesus does. He has the potential. He has the authority. He has the power that he can take dead things and bring them to life again. He can take a dead life and bring it to life again. He can take a dead marriage and bring it to life again. He can take a dead church and bring it to life again. And so Jesus is going to speak a strong, strong word to the church in Sardis and it's wrapped up in grace but also in judgment. If you do this, here's what I'm going to do. If you don't do this, here's what I'm going to do. So even though you're dead, you can be alive again if you will follow my leadership and do what I say. Great potential. So I wonder in this room today, someone who's watching, I wonder how many people are saying, can anything good come out of my life? Yes, it can if you'll give your life to Jesus. I wonder how many people look at your marriage and say, is there any hope for our marriage? Will we ever get back to where we used to be? Yes, there's hope for your marriage, but you've got to surrender your marriage to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how many churches look at it and say, are we going to make it as a church? Are we going to keep the doors open and the lights on? Are we ever going to survive as a church? Yes, you can as a church. Even if the church is dead, you can come back to life if you'll do what Jesus, who's the head of the church, says do. I pastored two churches. I'm not talking about this church. I pastored two churches in the early days of my ministry in both of those churches. I walked in, and here's what they asked me. They asked me, say, Pastor, do you think our church is going to make it? They were in that bad shape. Do you think our church is going to make it? And I said to them, is there under shepherd whom the Lord called me to go there and shepherd and pastor him? I said, that's a great question. I promise you this, though. I said, this church is going to make it. The best dates for this church are yet to come. But we must hear from the Lord Jesus Christ. We must surrender our agendas to his agenda. We must be faithful to follow his leadership. We must seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first and not our own. And if we will do those things, be obedient to God's word, we'll pray, we'll worship him, we'll share the gospel, we'll make disciples, we'll do these things. The best days for this church are yet to come. And praise the Lord, we saw revitalization and a new day in the life of those churches in incredible ways. Not because of me, but because of the glory of Jesus Christ. He takes dead things and brings them to life again. So what is he saying to this church in Sardis? He gives them these five things. The first one is wake up. He says, it's time to wake up. Don't be sleeping. He may just give them a kick there somewhere and says, time to get up, wake up, start doing some things again. Start getting right with me again. I went to Pastor Northside Baptist Church in Elizabethtown, and my first wedding there, I'm standing there on the platform, got the, the bride and groom right here in front of me, and so the, the bridesmaids and the groom are lying down the stairs, and I'm just about finished with the wedding, and all of a sudden I hear this amazing crash, and I look up, and one of the groomsmen had locked his knees, and he passed out, and he's rolling around on the floor out cold. And so the groom, the bride, about to have a panic attack and says, what are we going to do? I was wearing a lavalier mic and I just put my hand on it. I said, we're going to finish here in just a minute because they've got his feet straight up in the air and they're hitting him on the face and here's what they're saying. Wake up, wake up, wake up. 
I mean, how many churches the Lord Jesus is saying to us, wake up, wake up, wake up. Listen, the best days are yet to come if you will love me and follow me, but you've got to wake up as a church. One of the churches I pastored, they had a troubled, troubled past, and we walked into that. And we walked into it. Their reputation was very difficult to deal with in the community. They were so troubled. And their mindset was this. When we call a new pastor, our troubles are going to be over. Our reputation is going to be over. And so God calls us there and we go there and we're a part of this church. We're in there weeks and months and, and, and the reputation's not changing as fast as they wanted. Their troubles are still there. Some of their issues are still there. And so we're having a meeting one night with some of the leaders and they're just moaning and groaning about the condition of the church and what we're doing. And I just felt the Holy Spirit leading me to say to them to say, and they had articulated, well, we thought when we got a new pastor, all of our issues, our reputation would be done. And I said to them, and I really felt like the Holy Spirit leading me, I said, you get to realize folks we're thankful to God to be here we want to walk with you the church has a savior and his first name doesn't begin with R the church has a savior his first name begins with Jesus and the savior the Lord the healer the revitalizer the one who can bring this church to life again is Jesus he can do that and I said to them, I said, honestly, in this church, I feel like I'm not sure if I'm a pastor or an archaeologist. And they said, what do you mean? I said, the more rocks I turn over in this church, the more stuff I seem to find. But thank God they're doing well today. Why? Because, again, there's hope in Jesus. He's telling this church, wake up as a church. Second, he says, strengthen. You need to strengthen. I, don't this, this out, out of duty, do this out of devotion. Strengthen what remains. Be strong in Jesus. That's why, again, you have to stay faithful to the word. You have to stay faithful to prayer. You have to stay faithful to worship, to fellowship, to missions, to ministry. All those things strengthen what is there. Be strong in Jesus Christ. Number three is the word remember. He tells them to remember as a church. What do they need to remember? Well, they need to remember the gospel, that Jesus lived a sinless life, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, gave his life on a cross. Remember the gospel, Jesus Christ. Remember what it was like to be lost and be saved. I don't ever want to get over being, being lost. I want to thank God for my salvation. The grace of God saved me and changed me. Don't, don't ever forget about those around your life who are lost without Christ. Remember the gospel will change their lives. No one is beyond the reach of grace. Amen. Share the gospel. Remember those things. He's telling them as a church, you need to remember. Number four, keep it. That's what he says in this passage. Keep what? Make sure your beliefs and your behavior match. So he's giving them great counsel. You just need to remember. You need to remember your beliefs and your behavior. Those need to match. I, had a, I was with a pastor one time, and he had went to the doctor. He was struggling with high blood pressure, taking medication. And he went to the doctor, and the doctor told him to say, if you will lose 30 pounds, if you'll start eating a healthier diet, and if you will exercise, your blood pressure will come down, and I'll be able to take you off this high blood pressure medication." And that's great words. And here we are sitting at the Cheesecake Factory, and he has eaten an incredible meal and topped it off with cheesecake and whipped cream. Somewhere the connection, he wasn't listening to what the doctor was saying to him. And so what Jesus is saying, keep it, what do you mean? Whatever I say to you, you do it. That's why sometimes people don't get much out of counseling because a godly counselor, a Christian counselor, gives them great insight. Do this, do this, do this. You'll see God move, and then they don't do any of those things. 
No wonder they continue to struggle. Then word number five is the word repent. He's saying that the individual is saying it to this church. If you will repent, if you'll turn, change directions, and you'll follow me, I will change the course of your church. And so Jesus had their attention. He's stating the issues, but also he's giving them ideas to say, you can be alive against the church if you will do these things. Now, number three, here is Jesus speaks to promises. Revelation 3, he doesn't just give them a few things. He gives them some promises here. I want you to write these words down quickly. Number one is dress. He talks to them about these white garments. I will never, he said, I'll give you one. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Just says again, you know Christ. You've been born again. Uh, he, he's, he's your assurance. You have eternal security. You'll be with me in heaven. White garments, dress matters. Nothing, nothing like seeing a bride in her wedding dress. And I don't imagine, I've done a lot of weddings too. I don't, I don't have many brides. Here they are on their wedding day. They get in their wedding dress, beautiful white dress. I don't imagine many of them eat barbecue ribs about an hour before the wedding service because they want their dress to be spotless. And so what Jesus is saying to these believers here in Sardis who have not soiled their garments, as he says, they'll walk with me in white. They're worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in white garments so forth so one's dress number two is assurance he says I will never blot out his name out of the book of life there's security in Christ there I'm going to ask you in just a moment is your name written in the Lamb's book of life come back to that number three is present and then he says I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels he who is near let him hear what the spirit says to the churches he presents us to the father and to his angels what an incredible incredible thing many years ago Disney, Walt Disney, Walt Disney World, there were people they discovered, executives did, that people were leaving the park dissatisfied. And so executives got together and said, we, we need to figure out exactly what's going on. Again, when something's not going right, you ask questions. That's what leaders do. Leaders ask questions. They deal with reality. Many churches are dying because they're not willing to ask the right questions and they're not willing to deal with reality. But if you're going to have a comeback as a church, you need to know you need a comeback. And so you've got to be honest and ask the right questions and deal with reality. And so Disney executives realized that there were many people walking away from their theme parks dissatisfied. And so they got together and they said, here's what we need to do. We need to do an exit interview. And so when people are leaving, we need to ask them certain questions. And Disney executives said this, we discovered why people were leaving our theme park dissatisfied. And here's what they said. We realized people were leaving dissatisfied, not because the lines were long. People were leaving our park dissatisfied, not because things were expensive. Disney executives discovered people are leaving our theme park dissatisfied because they came here to see one, what we might say person, but I'm going to say animal, and they did not see him during their day in the theme park. They did not see Mickey Mouse, and they were leaving their theme park dissatisfied. So executives said, well, do we just have multiple Mickey Mouses all over the park, everywhere else? And they didn't want to do that. And so here's what Disney executives decided to do. Every day, at the same time, every day, we're going to have a parade that goes down Main Street. And guess who the grand marshal of the parade is going to be every day? Mickey Mouse. That way, if you want to see Mickey Mouse, you come to the parade, same time every day, same place every day, right down Main Street. Every person in our park, you stay for the parade. On Main Street, you're going to be able to see Mickey Mouse. Issue solved. Now, if I was there, I'd still say, I think the lines are too long and I think it's too expensive. <laughs> I'd say that. 
hey, if I didn't see Mickey Mouse, my day's going to go okay the next day. But, but they're talking to people. Church, those who are members of this church, those who are regular attendees of this church and guests, we come here every Sunday. And we gather in this place at 1030 every Sunday. We come to connect groups and we come onto this property and we gather together every week and we gather to see one person. We gather as a church to see one person. It's not the senior pastor. It's not the pastoral staff. It's not the deacons. Church, we gather together every week, multiple times a week, to see one person, and his name is Jesus Christ. We come to see him. And so as members of this church, guests of this church, regular attendees of this church, our desire is when you come here that we lift up Jesus. He increases, we decrease, we exalt him. We want him to be known. We want you to see him and experience him and surrender your life to him and walk away saying, isn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he glorious? It's about Jesus. Now, two questions that we're gonna pray. Question number one, do you want to see this church be alive in Jesus Christ? Do you want that? Not, not what people say, well, they're, they're church, you have a reputation of being alive, but Jesus, you're, you're dead. No, we don't, we don't want that. He's speaking to us, no, we want to have a reputation of being alive, and we want Jesus to say, you are alive in me. You want this church to be alive. Second question. Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? There's only two options. It's either in there or it's not. How does your name get written in the Lamb's book of life? You realize that you've sinned against him. We've all sinned, come short of God's glory. You realize that God the Father loves you so much that he gave his only begotten son who went to a cross and gave his life and shed his blood and died on the cross, buried in a tomb, resurrected on resurrection morning. Jesus Christ is alive. You turn from your sin, repentance. You put your trust in Jesus Christ. He radically saves you. You're born again. You're a new creation in Christ. You have been redeemed and born again and saved. You'll never be lost again. And your name is written in the Lamb's book of life forever and forever and forever Amen. is your name in the Lamb's book of life let me say this what happens if you die and your name's not written in the Lamb's book of life it's another story can I say just as heaven is a real place hell is a real place as well the Bible says a lot about torment. The Bible says about weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Bible talks about all the things that happen for those who reject Christ and who die outside of relationship to him. Here's what you cannot do. You cannot die outside of Christ and get to a place called hell or torment and say, I made a mistake. Can I go back and redo this? It's finished. That's why invitations are so critical in the fellowship of the church. If you're here or you're watching and your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're not assured that you have given your life to Jesus Christ, I plead with you in the name of Jesus, make sure right now at this moment that you have turned from your sin, you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you've invited him to forgive you, to be the Savior and Lord of your life. Make sure your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life and make sure when you breathe your last breath, you know with all assurance and certainty you are going to see Jesus in heaven because he is the one who redeemed you and saved your soul. And you can know that today. 
So I want us to bow together across this worship center and those who are watching online. I just want to encourage you today. We asked you to come and pray just a few moments ago, but I want to encourage you today, if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, our pastoral staff is going to be here. Our prayer team is going to be here. We want to encourage you to come forward and to say, I need to get saved and I need to get saved today. The Holy Spirit has convicted me. I don't want to get in my car. I don't want to hit any street around here without knowing I'm saved. And so I need to be forgiven and ask Jesus to come into my life and I need to do it right now. We want to encourage you to take that bold step. Be courageous. Be transparent. Be honest. Come before right now in this invitation and say, I need the blessed assurance that we're going to be singing about. I need forgiveness. I need new life in Jesus Christ and I'm coming to give my life to Jesus at this very moment that's a bold invitation for you but you can walk out of here redeemed and saved and forgiven today right where you are watching around the world you can be saved at this very moment ask Jesus to save you and to forgive you And then I want to ask those in the church, do you want this church to have a reputation of being alive, but do you want the Lord Jesus to say about us, you are alive in me. If you want this church to be alive, I want to encourage you to come forward and stand here as well. We need to publicly stand before Jesus Christ and one another and say, we don't want to be a dead church. We want to be an alive church in Jesus Christ. It's a bold commitment for us. But we're not playing church, folks. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we need to be courageous and take a stand in obedience to him. So I'm going to pray, and if you need to give your life to Christ or be baptized or join this church or make another spiritual decision, you come. If you want to see this church alive and well for the glory of Jesus, we want you to come as well, and then we're going to pray together again in just a few moments. But let's pray, Lord Jesus. Thank you for salvation, the work of the Holy Spirit. Move right now in our midst, I pray. Lord, save some people in this service. Save some people who are watching online. Lord, we'd love to hear about that. And I pray this altar, these aisleways will be filled with people who say, we want this church to be alive, not dead, but alive in Jesus. Lord, move in our midst, we pray, because we need your blessed assurance. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Let's sing Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. You come as the Holy Spirit leads. Let's follow his leadership as we sing.